Let's pray. God, I thank you for, for what just Corey Drake has already shared with us, God, that you, uh, you anointed him tonight and for what Kyle Brooks has already done tonight, God. And, and Lord, as we get into this, as men get into a room and, and be real together, God, we just want the truth. We want to know where we're at. God, we want to know where we're going. And God, in the midst of this, we want to know you. God, show us what that looks like in our life. Lord, and each person here and each man here, Lord, when, when we are done tonight, the prayer is, Lord, is, is a recommitment to you, God. And, and the prayer tonight, Lord, is to know what that next step is in each of our lives to follow you more. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as, we were, as Andrew and I were getting into this, it was really interesting because what, what happens on Facebook, you can send out a, a, an event reminder for, for people that are in your sphere of influence. And, and this is not even on my sheet, but as we get into this, it was interesting because when, when it went out, what, the first comment that I saw, I decided, hey, I saw a lot of comments. I was like, well, what, what are people saying? Because, you know, the first week we did this, there was 10 people signed up. And we were like, nobody's going to come. That's, that's a bad idea, right? But the first man that signed up said, man, I signed up. I can't wait for it. If you look at the next 15 comments, and you have to, there, we did a number of them. You'd have to go look. You know what most of them are? They're women on Facebook tagging their husbands. And I'll be honest with you, the first two I laughed just like you are. But when I saw eight, nine, 10, 15, 20, man, is there an issue here? So let's get into this tonight. Let's, let's get into this. Let's see what this looks like. So I'm gonna get into this. In, in 2015, there was a movie that came out. This was not a Christian movie by uh, any means. Some of you would, would probably remember it. It had Anne Hathaway in it, and it had Robert De Niro in it. And it was called The Intern. And if you remember the movie, uh, uh, De Niro's character, his name is Ben, and he's retired, but his wife has passed away. He doesn't need the money, but he decides he's going to go back and work because he's tired of being around his house. His kids are too busy for him, and all these things are going on in his life. And he decides to get out of his house and, and, and go back into the workplace. And, and he works for a, a woman by the name of Jules, but he's an intern. So here's this old gentleman dressed up in a suit and a suitcase with all these other millennials. And so it's kind of one of those, one of these things is not like the other kind of moments, Right? In the movie, there's a scene where, where Jules uh, is, is finally starting to open up because she'd always been closed up. And she's starting to open up to the other interns because of De Niro's character. And, and I know this sounds like a bad joke, but four interns and a woman walked into a bar. It, literally in the movie. Sorry, a bad, bad joke. Um, and, in the, in, in, and what happens is, is this, is... is uh, Jules, she has a little bit too much to drink, and unfortunately, alcohol is the unfortunate truth serum. And she looks at all the other men, and she begins to speak. And here's what she says. I wrote this down so I could get this. And again, secular perspective. And, and she looks at these, these young interns and Ben, who is De Niro, 
And he makes, and she makes this statement to them. She's actually talking about women when she first starts. She says, so we were always told we could be anything, we could do anything, and I think guys got maybe not left behind, but not quite as nurtured, you know. Remember, secular perspective. She says, I mean, like, we were the generation of, quote, unquote, you go, girl. We had Oprah. I'm feeling awkward saying this. And, and I wonder, <laughs> and then she says, I wonder sometimes how guys fit in. Then she follows up. They still seem to be trying to figure it out. They still seem to be dressing like little boys. They're still playing video games. Then she says, how in one generation have men gone from guys like Jack Nicholson and Harrison Ford to, and she looks at all the other younger men. And then she looks at the old intern, Ben, and he says, take Ben here. He's a dying breed. He said, young men, look and learn. Even secular society understands that there is a gap regarding men. Today is, is a largely fatherless generation is now coming of age, and we are starting to understand some of, the, some of the impact of that, which Corey Drake shared. And there's this damage that has been done to men in the growing process. And sometimes even when marriages stay together, when they stay together, children are growing up without their fathers actually engaged in their life. I remember, my, I'm a Gen Xer. I missed being a boomer by about four years. And all I knew when I was 18, when I finally got out of my dad's house, all I knew was how not to be a man. Then I joined the military, and then they rocked my world. And then all of a sudden, I had a, a, a slightly different perspective. But as a young adult, and most of our children understand, when it's not right, it's not right. And I knew what had been modeled to me was wrong. So hear me out here. There is a tremendous damage done in a child's life when a father is around but not present. Just because he is physically absent, it's one thing. Just because you're there and not engaged, there's also other damages that happen as a result of that. Me personally, when I, I moved in with my father when I was 15. My dad had left my mother when I was six. But when I moved in with him, he would sit on a couch and he would drink scotch and water and on ice, and he would smoke cigarettes, and he would either pass out, and he had this uncanny uh, ability to hold a cigarette up in the air, and he would either burn his knee or burn the couch. I'm surprised that the house didn't catch on fire, but that was, that was my teenage life with my family. And when that was said and done, he would look at me, and he said, I'm going to watch adult TV now. I need you to go to bed. And I wasn't dumb. I was 16. I knew what he was watching. And I stepped into my adulthood in my 20s, battling some of these ideas. But as his son, I watched my father walk through three separate divorces. And I decided, I don't want any of this. Again, how not to be a man. Many young men have stepped into adulthood with no real role models. And no real answers to the idea of what it means to even be mature. And in this... Rather than taking what we have been taught into manhood, many have overcome what has been modeled to find themselves as men. So what has been presented, they know that there's something wrong, but there's got to be something more, and there is this seeking. And many men, young men today, are still seeking. So tonight, not only is tonight just a beginning, tonight's a wake-up call. 
Because this idea of manhood has been distorted. It's been distorted bad. I'm going to give you two examples from culture before we get into this in a heavy way. First and foremost, there is the Hollywood action hero man. Sounds like an action figure, I know. But this man, he needs no one. He has no feelings. He has no consistent morals. And all he does is lay the smack down on bad people. And we go, I'm a man. We give you the other extreme, which scares me just about as bad. My wife is here helping serve it, and she's going to roll her eyes. There is the hallmark and lifetime man. Okay, there's more to this, I promise. This man is completely in touch with his feelings. He is emotional, but he's powerless without a woman to save him or lead him. And on Lifetime, which my wife does not watch anymore, it's, I affectionately call it is Some Man's Gonna Die channel. That is the name of Lifetime. I remember I was walking in one night and she was watching it. She hadn't watched it in a while. And I said, which man is going to get shot? And she goes, no one is going to get shot, Dave. And I watched for two minutes and I said, that's the guy that's going to get shot right there. And 20 minutes later, this guy was dead on an airport runway. So there's the hallmark man in this process. And, and get this, there are so many other definitions of men from our society, we don't understand what it means to be biblical men anymore. What is ingrained within us as men and why is it important to understand? And I'm gonna to speak to this idea of biblical manhood tonight. Let's look beyond stereotypes. Let's look beyond what culture has shown us of manhood and let's ask God, can we do this? Can we do this? Can I get an amen? amen. Let's, let's do this. Let's talk about godly men. So there's this place in scripture, just I'm, I'm gonna give you an introduction tonight. It, it is up to you to carry the torch beyond this. There is a scripture that gives us a picture of manhood and also gives us a picture of God's directive. This is 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. It is simply this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take this verse and I'm gonna go back to the Old Testament and we're gonna look at a man in the Old Testament by the name of Caleb. And so as we get into this, let's look at the first half of this verse. And it's simply this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. So let, let's, let's get the story together. The Israelites had been wandering the desert and they had come upon the promised land. God had led them there. And he says, okay, now you're gonna go into the promised land and you're gonna conquer. But before they do, from each tribe of Israel, they send a, a spy in to say, is this it? Is this, the, is this the land flowing with milk and honey? Is this the one that God promised? So men go in, including Caleb and Joshua, and these men, they spy out the land and they come back. There's this report that they come back with and there's this pole that they carry and then there's fruit and all the benefits of the land on this pole. And they say, look, it's, it's exactly what we thought it was gonna be. There is, it is a, the land that God promised us. The spies, they tell Moses and Aaron though, that men there, they were like giants and the Israelites were like grasshoppers. There was fear. 
all except for two men, Caleb and Joshua. And they responded. They said, guys, why are you afraid? We can do this. Let's step into the land. Let's take this. God has promises to us. We can do this. So listen, of the 12 spies, only one in six responded in faith. Only one in six. The others responded in fear. And so understand what I'm trying to say here. To keep faith, you will often find yourself in the minority to do so. And if you're going to keep your faith, you can't rely on the majority to dictate what your God walk is going to be or whether or not you're going to have faith. The majority is going to tell you something different. So in the midst of this, only one in six, we can never base our faith on popular opinion more than we do the promise of God. We can't confuse the two, and they're often in conflict with each other. The people were so captivated by fear along with the spies that, the, that J- Joshua and Caleb, who had faith, they're like, these, these two with faith, they're going to get us killed. Let's bring them out into the assembly and stone them. Their fear was so bad that they wanted to stone the people with faith. And here's a very blunt point, but please remember this. Please write this down. To keep faith, you will have to watch for the cowards in your life. You will have to watch for the cowards in your life. Their only intent is to make you one of them. Do you understand where I'm coming from? It's not a malicious thing. It's not what they're trying to do, but there's only one outcome of fear is to make more people afraid. And so in this, I've always been told all my life, and I understand that this is wrong, that when someone says, well, what's the opposite of fear? The answer to me is always courage. But look, don't confuse it. Courage is actually the ability to act in the presence of fear. The opposite of fear is faith. And here's the reason why, because faith is a reminder that we have nothing to fear at all. Courage is not the opposite of fear. It is faith. And it is men saying that I don't, you might have every reason in the world to be afraid, but if I'm the one in the six that is not going to be afraid, I might be surrounded by cowards. I might have people around me trying to be courageous, but we are called to have faith. We are called to have faith. But since most of Israel that day, they responded in fear, God doesn't give the Israelites the lands that he promised. In fact, the whole generation dies off. And in Numbers 14, there is a picture of that generation. And here's what God has to say. It says, And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Don't tell me faithlessness doesn't have repercussions. And then he says, until the last of your dead bodies lie in the wilderness. Faithlessness in some form of another another has repercussions. But in that same chapter, God also speaks of Caleb. Listen to what he says of Caleb. He says, because my, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into, into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So what has happened now? Let's flash forward 40 years because the generation now has to die off. 
And Caleb is now 85 years old. He's 85, and I promise, 85 now is the same as 85 then. Now, our theme verse tonight is is Joshua 14, 12. I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. And it says this. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb talking. Just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness... Caleb continues, and he says, And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. And then verse 12, our theme verse. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities, It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. He's 85, and the mark on his life continues. What is Caleb trusting in here? Is he he trusting in his strength? Maybe the Lord will be with me. He is trusting in his faith. Caleb's strength is the mark in his life. Caleb's strength is marked by his faith. So it is through the lens of faith that Caleb is able to see his strength as a man. It is through faith that he has the ability to see his strength. Please see the point. To act like men, like it says in the verse, as Paul suggests, it's going to begin with faith. Have you ever noticed that when a man's faith is attacked or when his faith is weak, it's then we begin to struggle when we're like, that, like this, that we begin to struggle to be men. When our faith is attacked, our identity is attacked because we were designed to be people of faith. It is when our faith wavers that we struggle to be strong. When we struggle to love completely and that fear begins to creep into our lives. So in understanding manhood, faith is more important than we've ever realized. Because what has happened is, In society, faith is a religious thing. Faith is something that has to do if you just want to be a religious Christian person or some other faith because we distort what it is. But it's not. When it's said and done, we won't truly understand who we are and what we are capable of as men until unwavering faith is the response of our heart to life. Will I understand the strength that I have within me if I don't understand that God is with me? I won't. I won't. I will only respond to life in my own ability, and that's it. But God offers you more. God offers you so much more. So let's let's hit this last part. Let's talk about this idea of ensuring inheritance. And so with this, this premise of faith being completely connected to our DNA. How do we leave an inheritance? Older men in the room, how do we leave an inheritance to the younger generation? It was a couple years back. It was back when we could afford to do this, I believe. Corey had taken many of us as leaders to a Catalyst conference, and there was a speaker there. She spoke of Caleb and Joshua's generation. 
She said something that day that, had, that has haunted me for a very long time. So what we just read is that Caleb ensures the land for Israel, but in the book of Judges, he didn't, do, didn't complete the job because now his generation is dying off. And there's an issue in this. Judges 2.10 lays this out of what has happened. So Caleb and Joshua, their generation is dying off, and this is what it has to say. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So this torch of faith from one generation to the next was not passed on to the next generation. The, the, the older generation at this point, they had dropped it. They had not given it to their children. They had not given it to the younger generation. And at this point, God is forgotten. They don't know him. When we look today, look at the movies we watch. Look at the music we listen to. The things that we find acceptable around us in society. Is this playing out right now? Is this playing out right now? Do we have a young generation of millennials that are, are, grow, are coming of age that don't know God? And if we are, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter to you? It has to. If we are going to call ourselves Christians, this torch of faith, is it being passed from one generation to the other right now? There has to be an exchange from the older generation to the younger. And gentlemen, if your walk with Jesus, if it is only about what he has done for you, if it's only about your sins that he has forgiven, if it is only about how he has directed your life, who's the object of your faith? Is it Jesus or is it you? It's me. It's you. If we hit this mentality, we miss the entire point of following Jesus. And here's the deal. God has never designed your faith to be this way. God has designed this in such a way that you experience his healing. But he heals you. The matter is finished. And then Jesus shows you a better way to live. And then in focusing on Jesus, you can look outward and you can pour outward with your life. But how rare is it that so many people don't, how, many, how rare is it that people take this step? It's about my faith, my walk, my life. Many of us are not pouring outward. Our sin and our past, please hear me. There comes a time when you have to walk through a process of the pains and the hurt and the sin in your life. But the ultimate destination of the gospel is not so that you will cope with those things the rest of your life, that you'll conquer them, that you will conquer them. We have to take that step in our lives where, you know what? The gospel is bigger than my pain. It is bigger than the fact that my dad wasn't there. It was bigger than the fact that my dad was an alcoholic. It was bigger than the fact that I wasn't shown what it, what it meant to be a man. It's, it's bigger. 
And I'm sorry I say this because I don't want to strip down to the, go- the gospel to my pain and say my gospel can't overcome my pain. Jesus can. He can. He can. Because here's the danger, right? If I never look outward, I don't look ahead. And if I don't look ahead, the next generation doesn't hear. Because my faith is now about me, and I am just coping. Look, I am not belittling the pain in your life. I just know that my God is bigger. I just know that he's bigger. And look, I see a group of people. I see a generation that's, that's coming up behind us that desperately needs to hear and receive the message of God. And it's time for us to quit being silent. It is time for us to stop. It's time for us to open our mouths. It's time for us to find one. You know, if every person in this room invested in just one person, one person, there's 313 men in here tonight. Praise God. But you know what would happen? When we do this again in September, there'd be 600 of you, if not more. The older generation, I don't care if you're 35 or 85. Caleb has just showed us that your age doesn't matter. Some people feel like that they're 85, that their life is done. I mean, the, Caleb goes to war, right? 85, we imagine not having a fight at the Shoney's Buffet, much less go to war, right? But God is calling us to war for our generation. He is calling us to war for our generation. But hear me, it is why one and done Christianity does not work. It does not work. Choosing not to go deeper is merely living out the Christianity that you have settled for. That you have settled for. And the Christianity you settle for will be probably, if you settle for your Christianity where it's at, it will probably be for you anyway. But if I could be honest about the approach, what I see most of the time is that a Christian faith that requires nothing from you probably amounts to nothing for you. And hear what I'm trying to say here. If I take my faith and I set it on a shelf except for Saturday or Sunday or whenever you come, and I live out the rest of my life the way that I want to, does God ever bless sin? There is not a place in Scripture where I see where God blesses sin, that God walks around sin. Does he forgive it? Does he love you? Yes. But when you pour outward, when you look outward, you are embracing the faith that has been given to you and it's part of your DNA. It's who you're supposed to be. Men, our job as Christians will never be done. It will never be done, at least, at the very least, until the next generation knows. And if Caleb has taught us anything, age is not an excuse we are called to a bigger faith in our ability, and there's a generation of men that need you. We need to commit ourselves to this next generation. Men, I'm 47 years old. Some of you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and, and onward. We have got to invest in the next generation. How does it work when you're in an airplane? What do they say when the masks come down? Here's where we start. We have to look at our own lives. 
Because when the masks come down in the airplane, you have to put oxygen over you and then you help your children, right? So if you're my age, if you're in the 30s, through, I'm not 30, but you know what I'm saying. If, if you are the older generation, if you are the older generation and you're not pouring into someone younger, I need you to hear me tonight. It's time to take in the oxygen. It's time to breathe. It's time to get our own lives in order so that we can invest in the next generation and not a faith where we cope with our lives, that we conquer it. Let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that somebody else is going to fix this. Let's not pretend that some other church is going to disciple our young men. Let's stop pretending that revival is going to come without our personal commitment to God. Do you understand how crazy that probably is to God? Is God, we want revival, we want revival. But am I really willing to commit to you? You know where revival is going to start? It's going to start in the church. It's going to start with people being committed to God, saying, God, we're going to commit ourselves to you. We want revival. Revival is going to cost me something, and I'm willing to pay the price because my Father in heaven, the Jesus who died on the cross for me, he's worth it. And revival will come because you won't stay silent, and the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak, and you will grow, and you will go, and you will change lives. And God will use you. It is time for us to commit again as husbands, as fathers, as brothers, as believers. Let's make sure the next generation knows it's in our hands and we must decide whether or not that we're going to be the generation that drops it as long as the one that we saw before. Are we, going to, are we going to repeat Judges 2.10? Are we going to drop the torch? Or are we going to see this through? And, and I'll be honest, we'll know. There's, there's not going to be a church checkup to see how you're doing. We, we can just look at the generation coming to see if we're doing our jobs. Man, this is not a religious thing. We have to commit. And it's time for us to become men of faith again. Because ultimately... Scripture tells us we will never be men without it. And many of us have struggled for so many years, so many years without it, trying to understand what it means to be a man when we have always been designed to live with faith. We have got to step beyond the fear. We have to be the one in six. You see, we have to live out the fact that not only did the gospel do something in us, the gospel is going to do something through us. I am so thankful you're here tonight. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the men in this room. Lord, that this, this room is packed full of men who, who are, are, are not going to settle for where they're at right now, that we have to take a step further. And there is a reason that to my left there's a sign and it says to do greater things. That we're not going to settle for yesterday's faith. We are not going to settle for yesterday's answers. But God, we want you to draw us forward. And God, tonight as we get into this, Lord, 
Andrew's going to come later and he's going to invite men to, to put their names on this sign as a commitment where we say, not in my generation. Lord, not on my watch. God, I want to ask for forgiveness for the times in our lives where we have not lived out faith, that we've been afraid. God, no more. We don't want it anymore. I pray for courage. I pray for faith. I pray for commitment. I pray for change. There's so much at stake. Whether we know it or not, there is so much at stake for the generation that's coming up. And it is our job to act like men. I love you, God. I thank you for what you're going to do as we continue this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.